Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Just want to spend uh, just a, a couple of minutes just framing up uh, where we are at the moment as a church. We are uh, we're basically smack bang in the middle of, of our Lent uh, Easter series uh, as we walk towards Easter, which is really only just just a couple of weeks away now. Um, we've been doing this series called uh, Wild and Fire. Uh, we spent the first three weeks of the series looking at this this whole concept of the wilderness. We looked at Jesus's forty days in the wilderness. Uh, we looked at Israel's uh, forty years in the wilderness, and then we looked uh, again at Israel's four hundred years of silence uh, in, in that period between uh, the, the Old and the New Testament. Um, and then last week, we moved out of the wilderness and into the fire component. And, and Vic did a really good job of, of framing up really the, the Christology uh, or the theology around the divinity of Christ. Um, so we're trying, to, we're trying to tap into that. And, we, and we're working with this idea of, of, of fire and this idea of a divine spark. And we find ourselves today uh, at this whole thing of stoking the fire. And so that's what we're going to be working with today. Um, also want to let you know, if you haven't been aware of it, we've been putting out these podcasts uh, every Wednesday. I've been working on uh, with Fran on these. They're basically uh, creating a contemplative space for us to enter into and engage with the story in a meaningful manner. And so uh, the conversations that I've had with people so far who are using these podcasts are really enjoying them. They're not very long. They're only like seven to 10 minutes long. And it's really just about immersing ourselves uh, in the text and in the story and looking at how that story might read us and do something in us. And so uh, it really has been so far quite a special thing. Um, you can listen to it at home. Uh, you can listen to it in the car while you're driving to work uh, or when you're working out in the gym uh, or whatever. But it's just a nice little way of, of really being soaked in it. And so um, on the whole, it's been a really fun series and we're, and we're, we're, we're really... Um, we're really just gearing towards uh, gearing towards Easter right now. I just want to let you know uh, as well. If you from starting from today. Uh Every day on our Instagram and our Facebook page, we're, we're posting uh, a different station of the cross. So um, even after the service today, you'll be able to go uh, onto Instagram and you'll see. And, and that's just uh, that's just a way of, of one, uh, just another way of being able to engage with the story a little bit. And when you come to church next Sunday, as, as we as we arrive for Palm Sunday next week, uh, we're actually going to have all the stations of the cross uh, set up, uh, all 15 of them. So uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite a cool thing. So do do find ways of, of joining in and participating and do come with us on this journey because uh, everything we're trying to do is to make this story come more alive in our hearts so that we connect with Easter in a different way. So it's not just this thing that just rolls around for another year and we crack open another Cadbury cream egg and we just do the same old thing, you know, like this is such a rich and significant past of our Christian history and it's something that we should step into with reverence and awe every single year. Amen. Right on. So this is where we are today. We're coming into this whole area of stoking the fire. We're looking at the spread of the gospel through the ministry of Jesus. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 4. And while you guys are all turning there or opening the apps on your phone, I'm just going to pray just a little bit. So Holy Spirit, would you come and be with us? Would you come and rest on each one of our hearts? 
Lord, we want to thank you for the journey that you are taking us on as a community, for the things that you are stirring inside of us, for the divine spark, for that fire that, 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 you, are, uh, that you are putting in each one of our hearts. And we pray, Lord, today that as we, as, as we look at the ministry of Jesus, that you would begin to stoke that fire, that we wouldn't just be connecting with it historically uh, or theologically, but we would be connecting with it personally. Lord, come and stoke the fire in our hearts. Make this story bigger, more vibrant, more powerful. Come, Holy Spirit. Luke 4, uh, working from uh, verses 16 through to 21. And he came to Nazareth. Oh, I've got it up here. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Uh, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That feels like a bit of a mic drop moment, right? Today the scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus makes his intentions known. I am coming to do something. I am coming to inaugurate something. There is, a, there is a tectonic shift happening in the spiritual landscape and it is starting now. That is what Jesus is saying this. You know, in the wake of this, Here's the some of the things we'll begin to see because we could go in all different kinds of directions as we look at the spread as, uh, at the, of the gospel, as we look at the stoking of the fire. Um, we will see in the wake of this event, Jesus calling people to discipleship, saying to them, follow me, become like me, go and do the things that I do. And there will be stories that get back to him throughout his ministry. Oh, Jesus, did you hear so-and-so in the other town? They're doing things in your name. Should we stop them? No. Why would you stop them doing things in my name? We will see discipleship take place. We see uh, the way that Jesus engages theologically with the religious teachers. We will see the way he challenges them and prompts them and, and, and starts sparking different ways of thinking uh, and engaging with the ancient texts. He starts prompting these things in the people around him. But he engages, you know, he really challenges the religious thought uh, and the political thought of his day uh, um, as, he, as he engages with these significant people. And we look at the way that he embodies hospitality with the broken, the disliked, the marginalized, the hurting, the diseased, the outcast. We look at the way he loves them first. We look at the way he surrounds them with grace and compassion. You know, and I was just sort of thinking this week um, how the gospels kind of play out. It, it's really is a bit of a highlight reel, you know? It's really hard to just like cram three and a half years of ministry into uh, just this, this really like slim little part of our Bible, just these four, four gospels, you know? 
But I was kind of thinking about it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a workout montage in the Rocky movies, right? It's like cue, cue a bit of Europe. Any Europe fans here? Like 80s, you know, the final countdown? Or Eye of the Tiger or like some sort of like super, you know, reverby drums and like, you know, and this like montage. And in the montage, you'll see like Jesus speaking on a hill and there's like a little child sitting on his knees and he's like telling all these people and then their jaws are all on the floor or like they're all crammed into a house and, and you'll see this like, this like weird lowering of someone through the ceiling. Like it would be a really strange montage of things, very peculiar You'll see Jesus like spit in the mud and just like put it in people's faces. And then suddenly they can see, which seems very counterintuitive, right? If I put mud in my eyes, man, I can't see, I can't see a lick. Not that I've tried. Um, <clears throat> in the wake of this announcement of Jesus, we just see so much take place. And you can almost see, as you look at the gospel texts, the way that the sort of whispers about him permeate through society. Oh my goodness, like, did you hear what Jesus did in, did in our town? Did you, hear what he, did you hear what he did with the Samaritan woman? Did you hear that story about what happened maybe when he was out in the wilderness? Were you there in the group when the lady crept up through the crowd and touched his robe? Were you there? I showed up to listen to him and I got fed. But there was like no food and suddenly we all had fish and bread. These like sort of whispers, right? They, they carry. Hey, wait a minute, isn't that guy, couldn't he not walk last week? Hasn't he not been able to say anything? When you look at the way the story and the ministry of Jesus plays out. It's like, of course people are going to be talking about it. Of course people are going to be captivated by it. Because in so many ways, it is so peculiar and so strange and so bizarre, yet undeniably powerful. It's a crazy story. But there are some things that we see in this text that I want us to point to because I think, I think that they, they actually spring off the back of where we were in the wilderness series um, and, 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 and they really lay the groundwork for, for why this thing was being stoked and being spread the way it was. And I want to draw us to some, some words that pop up time and time again. If I come back to this part just here, proclaiming good news, proclaiming liberty, recovery of sight, set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim. There are these words that come through, uh, come through and come through. So what's Jesus announcing in his intentions? He is announcing, I will proclaim the good news. I will liberate people and I will restore people. This is what is happening. This is what is going on. And the fact that uh, proclamation, liberation, and restoration was so powerful is because uh, I feel like we see this in that 400 silent years that we looked at. The world feels particularly void of these things. 
It feels like there is an absence, a, a, a vacuum that is being experienced, um, a, a, a vacuum of, of God's kingdom, a vacuum of relationship with God, a, dis, a disconnection between who God is and who we are as God's people. And there's just this, there's just this very real lack. And there's a lack of hope. And we explored that a few weeks ago. Quick plug, you can check it out on our website. All of our sermons are there. svc.org.nz slash wildandfire. Listen if you haven't listened to it. Because this whole story is so interconnected. There is an experienced absence of God's kingdom, His relationship and God's fullness of life. There is a complete lack of hope in the people of Israel. And so in embodying these things of proclamation and liberation and restoration, there is this groundswell around Jesus. People can't help but talk about this revolutionary figure because everything he does is so subversive, so radical, so unbelievable, so peculiar, but so attractive. So beautiful. And it's, and it's kind of controversial. You know, it's controversial because it's unlike anything that's been experienced and it's unlike anything that was expected before. It's a completely different story that's playing out than what people were looking for. And so I want to I want to go a little bit into each of these three things, but but what I prayed at the beginning is really where I want to end up landing today. Is that I don't just want to just cover off just the history of this stuff or the theology of this stuff, but I I mean it when I say like talking about the fire being stoked doesn't mean anything if it doesn't stoke something in uh, in a space where we actually hopefully can experience Jesus in some of these things, but. Let's move through them just a little bit. Proclamation. What's happening? What, what is Jesus proclaiming as he goes about his ministry? Mark 1, 14 to 15 says this. Now, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. This is what Jesus is doing. He is proclaiming the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. God's will, God's desire, God's reign is breaking through into human history right now. I think it's quite important for us to take a note. When we talk about Jesus preaching the gospel, he wasn't going around and couldn't have been going around saying, hey guys, guess what? I'm about to die on a cross for your sins. Um, that wouldn't have made any sense. It's not a story that anyone would have liked, listened to, Taken apart, take, like taken apart off, right? Now I'm not denying those. I'm not. Please bear in mind. Don't freak out. This is not heresy, right? Because those are very much things that happen and take place within the within the scope of, of of the cosmic story of what what God is up to. So I'm not denying those things. But that's not what Jesus was addressing. He was going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is a phrase that's used over 100 times uh, in the gospels. This is what Jesus is doing. He is preaching the embracing of the kingdom of God, the rule, the dominion, um, all of these things. Um, the kingdom of God uh, encompasses, right? Grace, faith, 
redemption, justification, sanctification, salvation, glorification, and all the other doctrines of Christianity because all of these teachings comprise the major tenets of God's way of life and the process of fulfilling his plan for humanity. The kingdom of God is not limited to grace, but grace is this thing that happens within the scope and within the vision, within the will and the reign of God. The kingdom of God is God's will happening, breaking through into human history and, and having its way within and through creation. The kingdom of God is the goal of God's great purpose. And if we desire to have a part in it with him, the kingdom of God has to be our goal too. And in the Vineyard Church, we talk about being kingdom of God people. We are looking for the embracing of the kingdom of God. And we often talk about the kingdom of God being now and not yet. We live in this tension. It is both a present reality and this, this future reality. It is inaugurated, but it is not consummated. We live in this tension between the two things. And so we are looking for the embracing of the kingdom of God all the time. That means looking for opportunities to pray. That means looking for opportunities to be generous and compassionate and hospitable. We are looking for ways to be and embody Jesus in everything that we say or do. That is what it looks like to be living in the tension of the kingdom of God. We have to long for that. This has to be our goal too. We have to look for proclamation in our own lives. <sighs> Jesus' preaching of the gospel of the kingdom provides us with our objective uh, as well as all of the component parts. So what we see in Jesus and, and, and how he does ministry, that gives us the things we need. Uh, it's modeled to us. This is part of that practicing the way and that whole thing of being with Jesus, um, becoming like Jesus and going and doing what Jesus did. But we get to see how he functions. We get to see the way he loves on people uh, and how he responds to people. And we get to embody that uh, in our movement as well. And I just want to talk a little bit as well because in Mark 1, 14 to 15, you have, you, we come across this word repent. And so what is Jesus proclaiming in this, in this sentence? The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and see. The, uh, the Greek word for repent is metanoia. It, it means to uh, transform your mind, right? It's this radical transformation. It's a shifting of perspective. It's effectively going, learn to think about and engage with and see the world in an entirely new light. Literally turn from your way of thinking about things towards this new way of thinking about things. This way of being turned towards the other, to being turned towards God. This is what is being spoken about when Jesus says, repent. Turn from your own agenda, transform your mind and see the things of God's kingdom. We're tracking? We're all there? Wonderful. And so then we come to this whole thing of liberation. In John 8, 31 to 36, Jesus says this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What is the liberation that Jesus is talking about? I believe that Jesus comes to liberate people socially 100%. 
to, to challenge those who would oppress others and to see the oppressed liberated, to see those who are on the outcast of society liberated from that oppression. And I think we'll see that. And, we'll, and when we get to the restoration component, we'll dive into that just a little bit more. But, but more than that, and in addition to that, is this idea of liberation from the tyranny of ourselves, right? That we are to be liberated from our sin, liberation from that which we bring on ourselves. I'm quite, quite compelled by the notion that when Jesus talks about sin, he's often not so much talking about us being punished for our sin, but the way in which we are punished by our sin. Challenging that these things are not healthy, they are not life-giving, they do not embody uh, the way in which we are to move and walk as human beings, created as the Imago Dei, the image of God. This is not life and life abundant. So Jesus comes to preach liberation from self, liberation from the burden of sin, liberation from the need to make ourselves king or God. You know, uh, in Greek, the word glory, like when it, it talks essentially about uh, the highest praise given to one thing. And the idea of glory is that only one thing can occupy that throne. Only one thing can have the space of glory. And so the shift, the metanoia, the repentance, that is the shift from ourselves to God. That is what the shift is. Giving glory to, turning attention towards. That is what it means to be liberated from self, to, to, to take our own desires and our needs and our wants, whatever, just to take those things off the throne and to put Jesus on it front and center. Liberation from the need to make ourselves king or God. It's a liberation, not just from something, but it's also a liberation into the life of Christ. And for actually for anyone in the first century context, hearing this, this just would have felt so radical, so different, because they were only thinking about things at a sort of socio-political level. They were only thinking about the Roman Empire. What was it going to be like? You know, we've covered this stuff already in those first three weeks of the series. But they were only thinking about how do we just take back control of our land and get to live our life our way? They weren't thinking about and engaging things on a heart level or a spiritual level. So all of this stuff would have felt completely foreign. And so you have these people questioning Jesus. What are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not a slave. I'd like the Romans to be gone but I'm not a slave. It's like, no, you don't understand. It's not about the land you own or what the things you get to do or whatever. It's about liberation from yourself. You're a slave to yourself. So learn to discover life in me. If you abide in my word and you dwell in my word, you will discover life and life abundant. There will be liberation in that for you. So Jesus proclaims and he liberates and he restores Mark 8, 22 to 25. And they came to Bathsheba and some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his saw, everything clearly. Jesus restores. 
Now, I've thought a lot about the healings and the, the signs and wonders that we see in the gospel, uh, in the gospel stories over the years. And um, I've come to see these things that, that these moments are actually less about the proof of God, right? Remember, we, remember we, we looked at this in the wilderness when we looked at Jesus in the wilderness. Who demands proof? Hi, who, it's a question. Who demands proof? Satan. And when the Pharisees demand proof, Jesus rebukes them. He challenged, it's like, why do you need that? That's not faith. That's not trust. We see the same thing play out with, when doubting Thomas comes along after the resurrection. It's like, I think these moments of healing are less about proof and more about restoration relationally, both with God and within the community. Here's something you'll often see. Often in the, often in the gospel stories, uh, a healing is accompanied by forgiveness. So there is a, uh, a, re, a healing of the relationship between God and that individual. And then often what happens is because people who were carrying diseases or who, who, who couldn't see or couldn't talk, um, they were social outcasts. And so they were outside of uh, the, the sphere of sort of social community. And so the healing would allow them to be restored into right relationship with God and right relationship with people. And this is the signpost to the kingdom of God. The restoration to right relationship with God and with people. Creation in communion with God. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. This is what I think these moments do. So Jesus, he proclaims and he liberates and he restores. And we see this pattern play out in the gospel, town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The people he encounters, the demons he calls out, all the things that he does. They proclaim, they liberate, they restore. We can tackle this subject from so many different angles. I recognize that this is one way of, of, of looking, at the, looking at the gem, right? And we can turn the gem and we can look at it from all these different perspectives. But as we journey towards Easter and we consider this whole thing of fire and we look at this idea of the gospel being stoked and what was happening, people were getting swept up in this story because of the way Jesus proclaimed and the way he liberated, and the way he restored people. It's a deeply powerful thing. But like I've said a couple times already this morning, the story of a fire stoked means nothing if it does not stoke anything in our own lives. The proclamation, liberation, the restoration, those are things that we need to connect with. They are things that we need to experience and to be shaped by. I hope everyone agrees with me. You're very quiet, Brunch. Either you're thinking really deeply or, I don't know, that extra hour of sleep wasn't enough. These are things we need to be deeply shaped by.
So here's what I want to do, because this is how we're going to finish, and we're going to finish a bit differently. I'm not going to get you to stand, but I am going to get you to close your eyes or to get comfortable, because I want to take you into the story of the blind man, and I'm going to ask that you insert yourself and that you have an encounter with Jesus in this moment. Because there's a few things I want to pull out of it. And hopefully, it would speak to you in a meaningful way and it would begin to stoke something a little bit. So get cozy. It's not going to take too long. This is a way of connecting with, with the indwelling Christ. So Holy Spirit, just come and minister to us in this space. They came to Bathsheba and some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. I want you to just put yourself in the place of the blind man for the moment. And I want you to take, take note of this, that Jesus takes you by the hand and takes you away to a quiet place. Jesus takes you into an encounter that is personal. This isn't just something that happens for the crowd or in the crowd. This is a moment where Jesus, the word that was with God and the word that was God at the beginning, through whom all things were created, he takes you because he knows you personally and takes you into a personal moment of encounter. When Jesus had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him. The spit thing is strange. But there's a lot of things about God that are strange. There's a lot of things about the mystery of God that are uncomfortable, that are uncertain for us. And yet take notice that this man doesn't pull away isn't put off by it, but leans into trust. And it's a strange moment. It's almost like, it's almost like uh, Jesus wants all of himself to be experienced in that moment. It's a strange thing. It's mysterious. And yet, the blind man trusts. Can you trust God in the, in the strange and the uncomfortable? Can you trust that he is divine? That he is sovereign? And it says that he laid his hands on him. Are you... Are you aware of the hands that are holding you? The hands that through whom the universe is created, the hands that hold the universe, hold all of creation. Are you aware that these hands hold you with love? 
This is a, this is a special moment between you and Jesus. Jesus asks him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I don't know about your experiences of grace, but for me, my grace experiences never, never just sort of come through and fix everything just like that. Grace feels like a multi-step process sometimes, you know? It's like, yeah, I see, I see, I see people, but they're trees, right? I believe, but uh, I struggle to believe. I trust, but I, I find it really hard to trust. I'm faithful, but today, today I'm not so sure. I'm certain, but I'm also, I'm really uncomfortable. I want to surrender, but there's still so many other things I long to cling on to. But yet the hands of Christ still hold you. And I'm so aware that this guy isn't freaked out. He doesn't pull away. He doesn't kind of go running off saying like, I only see blurry shapes and they're kind of like monsters. Or He doesn't do any of that. Where does he keep himself? He keeps himself in the hands of Jesus. So even in those moments that are uncomfortable and you're uncertain and you think you know, but you don't know and you're up and you're down and any of that, can you still keep yourself in the loving hands of Christ? Will you still let him hold you and love you? So Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Will you keep yourself in the hands of Christ Will you allow him to, to touch you, to speak to you, to hold you, to carry you to the point where you get to see things? Will you trust him to hold him and carry you through that thing that you're struggling with, the thing you've been hoping for, longing for, praying for, with that illness you've been battling, with the, the limp you're walking with? Can you trust him with that? Can you trust him to hold you through to the end? Can you trust him to hold you through the transformation of your mind because it is ongoing, because we live in a tension, because it's messy and uncomfortable? Can you trust it? Can you trust that there will be a moment where you open your eyes and you will see clearly? This is an experience of proclamation, liberation from self and the restoration of ourselves before God. So Lord, it is my prayer that we would submit ourselves to your hands, that we would allow you to take us where we need to go, that we would place ourselves into your hands, that we would trust you to bring restoration and healing and hope to whatever situation is going on. We place those things in your hands. 
And Lord, we, we pray that in the experience of that, that, that we would be captivated by you once more. And that a fire would be stoked in our hearts that we can't help but carry proclamation, liberation, and restoration into our everyday life. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.